Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with The Ground Up, and I'm back again with another exciting new interview. And today we've got a really new name to our coverage spectrum. In fact, this is our very first uh, SPAC, at least in 2020, goes, and uh, that's Subversive Capital. And I'm pleased today to have the company CEO, Richard Acosta, here with us from all the way from LA. Richard, thanks for joining us today. Brad, thank you for having me. And I'm surprised it took you this long to get to SPAC land. <laughs> tends, to, uh, tends to be all the rage in, in 2020. Well, we've been on the sidelines watching. So we've been you know, looking closely, but really trying to find the right opportunities. There's been obviously a tremendous amount of new, uh, new SPACs coming to the market, but I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this one, Subversive Capital. Um, I guess before we get into this, just so um, our audience can understand, a little bit about Subversive and kind of the history of the formation of the company as a SPAC and again, focused on the cannabis sector, but can you talk at a high level about the history of the company to, you know, and how you can access shares today? Sure, sure. So we uh, created Subversive uh, Real Estate Acquisition, REIT LP, which is the formal name of our SPAC last December. And we, very intentionally came out and created a SPAC structure, uh, which is really the intent from the beginning was to aggregate uh, commercial real estate assets in the cannabis space. And it was an outgrowth from a private, of a private strategy that we began uh, with the local family office here in Beverly Hills called the Inception Companies, uh, who specialized in cannabis. We began that effort in 2018 uh, in a private setting and really took our time to refine uh, the thesis, um, refine really the things as simple as service providers, title insurance are a lot more complicated in cannabis. So we've uh, you know, been at work for a couple of years, acquired assets on a private basis and said, well, to really scale this business and really take advantage of the opportunity, we need public capital. So hence the SPAC structure, fast forward to today, we've you know, managed to aggregate uh, 17 different pieces of real estate, uh, across a handful of large sellers, both companies and third-party developers. And uh, we've announced the qualifying transaction in that portfolio to the public. Uh, we did that last Wednesday. Uh, we're on track to uh, consummate the qualifying transaction uh, in early November. As you said, you know, we, we uh, have shares trading. Uh, we're traded on the NEO exchange in Canada. Uh, the ticker up there is sbx.u. We have an accessible share uh, for U.S. investors, an OTC listing. That share is SBVRF, available uh, via any OTC uh, broker here in the United States. Great. Thank you for that overview. And I guess let's talk a little bit about the cannabis industry. Now, of course, we cover the only pure play uh, now in the publicly listed uh, space being innovative industrial, just wrote on the company a few, few days ago, in fact. Um, and so I've been really intrigued with this company. We are a shareholder in the company and really recognize the tremendous growth uh, in, that, in that sector. So I wanna maybe start with that, again, at a high level. You know, how, did, how is the pipeline today in terms of the product that you're buying and, and how is that product different? I've seen, and looking at your investor deck, um, your, 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 pro, your properties or your inventory appears to be a little unique or a little different, I guess, from say your, this uh, IIPR. So exactly what are 
what are you buying and what are the opportunities in that in that space? Yeah, listen, I think um, a handful of, of critical distinctions from a, an asset selection perspective, we tend to focus on urban markets like urban infill real estate, primarily industrial. We have a sprinkling of, of select retail in the portfolio. Uh, and, and we tend to concentrate in the bigger state markets. As you know, you effectively have a collection of, of uh, different economies that are closed, right? You have 33 states that have now legalized uh, medicinal cannabis, and you have about 11 that are open for recreational use. Uh, product cannot cross state borders. Uh, the operators need to actually recreate their infrastructure in every single market as they look to expand. So that really is driving the demand of product for not just ourselves, but obviously for Innovative, who's done an incredible job of scaling uh, that platform. Uh, so, you know, going back to, to your question, we, we do focus on, on a bit of a different asset type, a little more urban in nature. And we're also focusing, I think, again, on the bigger state markets that tend to be recreational in nature. Innovative, I think, is, uh, has a stated objective of focusing on medicinal markets. So you'll see our footprint covers the West Coast heavily, right? California is a big market for us, Nevada, Arizona, um, as is Washington. And I think you know, we, we like uh, the, the mature markets that have more of an experience in cannabis. We tend to find better value there for our investors. So I guess, would you consider this, this uh, pipeline fairly fragmented? I've, again, looking at your, your deck, you've got 4,000 dispensaries in the U.S., uh, 5,000 wholesale cultivators, 2,500 infused product manufacturers, and 150 plus testing labs and facilities. So it appears to be extremely fragmented, which being really the only second REIT uh, that we actually cover now, it seems to be a tremendous opportunity for, oppor you know, for, for the company to grow. That's right. That's right. The, the, the cannabis industry itself is incredibly fragmented, right? For various reasons. It's, it's a nascent industry, it's state by state. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, effectively duplication of infrastructure across state markets. And you have, you know, even here on a local basis, you have six very important ballot initiatives in Orange County specifically, right? That could turn on brand new markets. So the numbers you cited are, are a bit stale. They're probably from the end of last year. This industry is growing really week by week. You think about the macro environment and you think about what's happened since the onset of COVID, right? Uh, retail tax receipts down, hotel tourism tax receipts down. I think cannabis is really being viewed as a potential job uh, creation engine as, as well as a tax receipt right? um, engine as well. So a lot, of, a lot of tailwinds there, but it is very fragmented. It is fragmented and that's really where the relationships and the sourcing discipline uh, you know, are important for a business like ours. Right. We tend to think about our business as scaling with relationships, right? Uh, once you've underwritten a credit, a business plan, you tend to try to do a bit of repeat business there and, and take advantage of front-end work, right? No different from any other sort of real estate investment strategy when it comes to landlord and tenant, tenant relationships. Yeah, and, and looking again through your deck again, I was really interested to see a number of the acquisitions um, have been really highly institutionalized. I mean, in other words, the, the buildings are, are really, you know, for example, I want you to maybe tell me about one acquisition. Sure. The deck is in Las Vegas. This is a 450,000 square foot facility, very large property with 12.6 acres. It looks to be right, you know, almost in the middle of Las Vegas or very <laughs> close 
Tell me about that acquisition and is this a, a comparable property for the, for the remaining portfolio? So that, that asset is uh, Flower One Public Company's uh, really crown jewel from an operational perspective. And it's emblematic really of what we look for, right? Mission critical assets, scale, assets that we think will re retain relevance in the industry over the long run, right? We have a, an institutional perspective that says, the cannabis industry is in its infancy. The regulations will continue to develop. At some point, I believe you get the industries regulated a little bit like alcohol, right? Uh, you will have interstate commerce and, and rules around that, of course. So, you know, what, what that leads us to do is focus again on assets that have, that are irreplaceable for the industry effectively, right? You look at the asset here in the presentation, almost half a million square feet of cultivation space along with manufacturing and related uses it's hard to recreate this in the middle of a city, to your point, right? So that really for us speaks to residual value, that speaks uh, to repurposability potential if ever needed. And that's always been front and center to our underwriting methodology. And when you have that lens, that sort of keeps you away from more rural markets with less density, right? So you'll see the commonality throughout the portfolio. You're, you tend to be in or very proximate to urban centers. Right, and if you could, Richard, touch on the retail side. I was I was a little intrigued to see that in the in the portfolio mix. And again, I'm I live in South Carolina, so it's, I don't drive around and see um, you know cannabis retail every day. Um, <laughs> I can in Florida and some other 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 towns. But tell us about what exactly from the retail perspective. What are you, what are you actually buying? The portfolio is about 11% uh, retail itself. We're looking for really main on main real estate, right? We're looking for assets uh, that are well positioned, that have you know, higher traffic counts, uh, primary markets only when it comes to retail. And from an operational perspective, uh, you know, e-com, uh, you know, online sales, pickup delivery, tech enabled transactions have really been a tailwind for cannabis retailers, right? As it has occurred for retail broadly, right? So we're looking for retail assets and operators with delivery licenses that have figured out their e-com, the e-com aspect to their business, right? And it generally looks like curbside pickup, right? Online ordering, um, if not full-on delivery services. So we, we tend to, to need all of those uh, elements in order for assets to underwrite for us. Great, and and let's move over if we could, Richard, to the to the uh, balance sheet or your capitalization. So obviously you're a SPAC. Uh, you've got around twenty over twenty six thousand SPAC units or shares outstanding, um, and an IPO price at ten dollars a share. Again, I'm referring to the investor deck at once again. Mm -hmm. So obviously you're telling us how you're going to put some of that money to work, but how does that uh, how do those rent checks really get to the individual investor in terms of how, and, and so I guess what I'm getting at is you, how do you look at your dividend uh, to, to, you know, dividend yield and, and your payout ratio? And also how do you look at the uh, policy, your debt policy or leverage policy going forward? Obviously you're a new company, but what are your target leverage levels and, and payout ratio uh, going forward? Sure. Sure. So, you know, one of the unique aspects of, of cannabis real estate is, is uh, there are no banks stepping into the space in a big way. We have managed in our private business ahead of putting the SPAC and this portfolio together to tap into bank financing. And we've been able to do that, I think, 
really in, in a, certainly in a very quiet way, since those are kind of proprietary relationships. And to be sure those banks have really asked us to keep their identities quiet, right? Um, I think there is an understanding in financial services broadly that this is an institutional uh, asset class at some point, right? So banks, select banks, uh, three to be specific that we've worked with have created pilot programs and we've been very early in the formation of, of those programs. We've successfully borrowed from banks in the past. Uh, and, you know, again, we, we prize those relationships. Uh, I think that is possible because we are underwriting very similar to how a bank would underwrite. We're underwriting to alternative use values and, and rents, right? So the last financing we did was last December. It was a 50% LTV mortgage on a retail store in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, sub um, 6% cost of debt, hugely accretive, right, to the headline cap rate. In that instance, it was 11 and a half. Uh, I, I wish the deal had another zero behind it. It was only a $5 million deal, unfortunately. Uh, but, but that's proof of concept for us, right, in that banks are willing to transact with select counterparties. So we intend to avail ourselves of asset level non-recourse debt within this business selectively. Uh, our board has is, is ratified a uh, 40 to 50% uh, max leverage target on an LTV basis. I think the right place for a business like this is in the low 40s, right, um, on a portfolio basis, so that we'll manage toward that. To be sure, we are not closing with any bank debt, so I think that does represent a, a bit of a re-rating opportunity for the stock going forward. So that's an exciting element of the business. Uh, from, from a sort of payout ratio and dividend perspective, you know better than anyone, sustainability of dividends is critical, right? And uh, this is a net lease business. There aren't any uh, expenses said differently or on a pass-through basis effectively at the property level. Uh, so I, I think that business does support a higher payout ratio. So, you know, something in the 85 to 90 long-term feels appropriate here. Uh, I think the out-of-the-box dividend uh, that is supported is in the 7% area. For the business again 12 percent gross 11.9 to be specific uh net of gna no property level expenses nets you net down to the to the sevens we're paying dividends i think uniquely in the us um, on a monthly basis i think uh, realty income may still be paying out on a monthly basis which is helpful for investors and that's great uh but uh we we, we adopted that uh, convention based on a inspiration from our Canadian brethren and some of the Canadian REITs tend to do that pay on a monthly basis. I was, I was hoping you were going to say you adopted it because of uh, all the monthly dividend stocks we cover. Oh, that, that, that's a secondary uh, reason. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you what, speaking of really the income, I looked at your, again, referring to that deck again, looks like you've got, I think I saw it in here, something like 55% or net lease. So can you explain the lease structures a little bit in terms of there's 57% of the portfolio right. ratio is, is triple net deals. What are the other, you know, uh, you know, 43%? Great, great question. I'm glad you, you called that out. So all underlying leases are triple net. Uh, what we highlight on that page is the fact that we have a concentration of deals out of the box structured as first mortgages with purchase options. And we employ that strategy and that structure really as a, a risk mitigation tool, right? Instead of taking on uh, development risk or operational ramp up risk, we've extended first mortgages with options at our election to acquire those assets when the pro forma lease EBITDA is met, 
right? So uh, we, we've done that in three instances in the portfolio. Uh, we are a net lease business at its core. We expect to consummate those purchase options in the first three quarters of the next year. Uh, and really we did that strategically, right? These are larger deals. Um, as a SPAC, we are required to close on the qualifying transaction all at once. Uh, so, so therefore, you know, this was not, not only a risk mitigation strategy, um, but it was also a, a way to step into a larger transaction in a more modular format. Yeah, right. That so that, that, that's what that means. They're all, to be sure, they're all underlying triple net leases. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think one other thing I, I, I want maybe to point out or have you point out to the audience is you're not invest, you're not putting uh, all of all the capital in, uh, you know, into a sell leaseback deal or, or new deal, um, whereby the, the tenant is actually doing their own uh, TI. A lot of the tenants are doing your own TI. So that, that cash on cash, you know, first year return, it, does that doesn't include in a lot of cases, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of TI that some of the peers have actually gone in and, and funded the entire soup to nuts, but you're only funding just essentially the brick and mortar and, and not as much of the TI. Is that correct? That's right. That's right, Brad. And, and really, you know, it's not that we don't want to finance TIs. Uh, of course, TI allowances are, are normal, right, in commercial real estate. It's really us saying we'd like to moderate our basis and our exposure in these assets, right? Uh, it really speaks again to residual value. If you, if you are, and we've seen plenty of examples of this, right? You're in a $150 per square foot industrial market and you see a cannabis trade happening at 300 per foot, right? On a mark to market basis, that cannabis lease uh, is, is really a, a scary exercise to look at, right? Um, on a mark-to-market basis for the asset itself, outside of cannabis, you are in that an inflated basis. And, and we all know just through experience, right, watching uh, triple net uh, REITs in the past, right, when they've had to re-tenant, oftentimes that mark-to-market on the lease is, it, it's a scary uh, sort of impairment sometimes that's implied, right? So we're kind of saying, let's, let's capture the lack let's capture the benefit for the lack of capital in the space as expressed through elevated rents but let's moderate the basis let's earn that on a basis that we think is close to traditional use per square foot values in a given market so what that leads you to do is exactly as you just articulated is not load up basis with ti's and equipment and you know that's been a bit of a commonplace practice in, in cannabis real estate in the past right and i guess Richard, I want to kind of close out. Obviously, you know, shares are available today. Um, give us the timeline for, you know, you, you just mentioned November, I think, when whatever date, if you could tell me again. And then at some point, do you see the company, you know, listing on the New York Stock Exchange? I mean, what is, what's kind of the long-term plan of the company in terms of its listing? Yes, yeah, so the, the, that's exactly right. Uh, we're a U.S. company, a U.S. management team. The goal is to cross-list uh, as soon as permissible, right? As, as you know, uh, Innovative uh, did a, a fantastic job timing its entry into the U.S. market uh, and onto the New York Stock Exchange. Unfortunately, the, the Cole Memorandum was rescinded. That acted as a bit of a safe harbor uh, for that business. So the, that listing is not available today to us. We are in, in uh, dialogue with 
uh, regulators and the exchanges on that front, but it's not something that's immediately uh, possible. Okay. We intend to, of course, uh, immediately shift as soon as it is permissible. And uh, cannabis, as you know, is uh, front and center on the national stage. So we, we may get some movement there sooner rather than later um, on, on that front. For now, as, as we've been discussing, our shares are on the NEO exchange, and it's a tier one exchange in Canada on par with the TSX. Important for us from a cross-list uh, perspective, they, they have a relationship with the NASDAQ, and they've cross-listed um, stocks in the past and issuances in the past. So we intend to avail ourselves um, of the same. From a transaction timeline perspective, uh, we are uh, on track to announce our final prospectus early next week. That puts us about two weeks away from the ultimate consummation of the transaction. So moving fast and furious, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, it's, an, it's been an interesting last couple of weeks. Uh, certainly SPACs are topical. Uh, cannabis is topical now more than ever, specifically on the political stage. And it's encouraging watching the industry grow, right? In such a multifaceted industry, we have one very small piece of it, but I think a very important one. Yeah, well, that's great. I'm going to recap for our listeners. So we have, uh, again, Canadian listing svx.u and over-the-counter US is svbrf. We'll put that on the screen for everybody uh, watching, but I just wanted to uh, make sure everybody knew. So Richard, thank you again for your time today. Uh, it's very exciting to have uh, really our first REITs back on the research uh, uh, list. And uh, we look forward to uh, staying in touch with you and best of luck uh, going forward. Thank you, Brad. Always good talking to you. Be well. Likewise.